We're continuing our study in the book of Genesis, and one of the things that I appreciate about uh, the Muggs story is uh, the fact that in our culture today, uh, and I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know, we're really an age of self-obsession. I mean, we really are all about uh, what I want, immediate personal gratification. There, there is in our day a lack of an eternal perspective. Now, that, that's probably been the case in every generation. Uh, Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. Maybe it's just shaped a little differently or the message is formed uh, a bit differently. Uh, but the facts are is that uh, there's literally a billion-dollar industry out there, a multi-billion-dollar industry out there that has completely committed itself to earning its living by helping you and me look younger, <laughs> by staying more fit, uh, by avoiding aging like the plague. Uh, Madison Avenue, that message has not been lost on Madison Avenue. And the, and the marketing and the schemes that go into helping us uh, make choices to spend our money in order to avoid or at least look like we are avoiding aging. I saw a commercial this week where there was a, a woman on the screen and she said, how old do you think I am? Now, no woman in her, I've never heard a woman ask that question. At least I've never heard a woman ask me that question unless she was like 12 and was hoping I'd say 14. Uh, but she, you know, how old do I look? And then they the kind of peeled the screen away and she said, I'm really, you know, 40 or whatever it was. And it's because of this product that I look like I'm 40 and you can look like you're 40 if you have this product too. And I, you know, I thought, well, I'm not going to get that product, but, um, you know, I take vitamins, I exercise, I, I've, you know, I got a little dry skin on my elbows, I got a little Clinique for men, you know, I'm not ashamed to say I use that from time to time. Boy, some of y'all really insecure. You laugh at that. Come on now. You know, but do I have the broader perspective? Do we as a culture have the broader perspective that health is more than physical appearance? James Treffel, who uh, you may have heard of, may not have, he's the... Uh, a physicist who is the uh, professor, Robinson Professor of Physics at George Mason University. And in 1996, uh, he wrote a book called 101 Things You Don't Know About Science, But Nobody Does Either. Uh, and one of those chapters was the question of why do we age? Uh, and I'm not going to read all that for you, but I do want to read a couple paragraphs because I think Treffel, from, from a scientific point of view, uh, puts his finger on this whole uh, uneasiness we have with getting older and this obsession about you know staying young. Uh, he writes this, research on aging in humans is presently focused on understanding the chemical reactions that contribute to the aging process and the kinds of genetic defenses we have against them. The most likely villains now appear to be a small group of chemicals known as free radicals, which are normal byproducts of basic metabolism. These chemicals, once free in the cell, break down molecules needed for cell repair, and in some cases, DNA itself. Striking bit of evidence pointing to free radicals as a mechanism of aging in animals is that animals with a high metabolism rate tend to have shorter lives and produce fewer chemicals to combat free radicals. The hope is that once we understand how these chemicals operate in our cells, we will be able to slow the process of aging. This doesn't necessarily mean that our maximum age will increase. We know almost nothing about why the upper limit of human lifespan seems to be 110 years. I would just pause to say we actually do know why there's an upper limit. He hasn't discovered it yet, but we certainly know why there's a limit to life. Work on this question of whether the limit can be exceeded is just beginning. In the meantime, current research is aimed at making it possible to put off the degeneration of aging and to remain vigorous later into life. Now, that's a scientific explanation of why 
that commercial was on TV the other night, anti-aging. And yet I believe it begs the bigger question. Is, is there something beyond this? Each one of us will die. Each one of us, no matter how good we look uh, later on in life, no matter how much we can combat that, ultimately face the grave. It's not just about physical appearance. And I think that truth should impact the choices that you make today and impact the decisions that I make today about my life. Uh, Patrice and Jeff both use the word legacy, and that's what I want us to consider this morning as we look at this particular passage of Scripture. Because I believe that this passage in Genesis 25 is a reminder uh, that we should live with an eye on the grave. Not in a morbid sense, not in an obsessive sense that all we think about is, is our mortality and our death and we worry about it, but rather with a wisdom that comes from God's Word and an understanding that maybe makes us a bit more thoughtful than we were uh, before we studied this text. So with that in mind, Genesis 25, uh, just four verses, verses 7 through 10. You can follow along in your Bibles or you can follow along on the screen. Hear the Word of God. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the sons of Zoar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray just once again. Father, I pray this morning that your word would penetrate our hearts and our minds. That as we live in a culture that does everything it can to turn our attention away from the fact that we are mortal, that we are finite in our lifespan in this world, that we would rather turn and embrace your world, uh, your word, excuse me, which teaches us how to live with perspective. So, Father, I pray this morning that your word would penetrate our hearts and our minds, that you would speak your truth into our lives. Lord, the, the power of the words of man are irrelevant. They are fleeting. They are momentary. They are but a wisp of wind and they are gone. Lord, what I have to say is not important this morning. It is only your eternal word that carries weight because it is truth. So, Father, I pray for every heart and every mind in this room, from the person who delivers this message to every person who hears, that we would be molded and shaped and impacted profoundly by your word of grace and mercy and truth this morning. Lord Jesus, come and be our teacher, we pray in your name. Amen. Uh, chapter 25, verse 8, simply says that Abraham uh, breathed his last and died, which might seem to you to be an odd text on Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, and perhaps what you're thinking is Tom is going to take this opportunity to, to kind of run down the road of evangelism and to remind people that, that they are finite, but that they were created for eternity. And through Christ, you can have forgiveness of your sins. You can have new life. You can have eternal life. Uh, and that is, certainly, uh, that is certainly true. And that is certainly an application from this text. Uh, the fact that life goes on after death, 
uh, and that we're responsible for the choices we make in this life, but that, but that God continues our existence into eternity is clear all throughout Scripture. I'm just going to give you one uh, verse out of this, uh, the same book of Genesis. In chapter 28, uh, God is in a conversation uh, with Jacob, who's the grandson of Abraham. And God says to him, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land in which you uh, lie, I will give to you and your offspring. What I want you to catch there is that he says, I am the God of Abraham, your father. And he says it in the present tense as though Abraham is still alive. Uh, the New Testament alludes to this, that where uh, this passage is actually quoted, and the author in the New Testament says, God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. Uh, our existence is not just 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years on this planet, but rather we were created for eternity. And that eternal life is only possible through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I don't want to neglect that this morning. I don't want to ignore that this morning. But I'm going to take a little bit different angle. And I want to talk specifically this morning to those of you who call yourselves disciples of Jesus. I want to ask the question, what did Abraham leave behind that benefited others? What was his legacy, so to speak, to use or to borrow the words uh, from Patrice? Uh, Patrice mentioned about her dad's legacy and how that impacted their lives. And certainly Abraham left behind a similar legacy, a legacy that uh, intersected with God's mercy, a legacy that impacted future generations and planted seeds that would last beyond his life. And so I want to look at that in the the mirror of Scripture and ask about Abraham's legacy. But then I also want to ask the question, more importantly to, to, to us this morning, is do we think that way? Have you thought about your legacy? Have you thought about what the folks are going to say when they're gathered around your grave? Have you thought about what your children or your grandchildren or, 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 or some of your friends, if they outlive you, are going to say about what you left behind, what impact you made in this world that will continue on beyond your existence? So we're going to look at Abraham's legacy. I'm going to look for just very briefly for a moment at the legacy of Green Tree Community Church. I'm going to share with you my thoughts on my own legacy, and then I want to ask a couple of questions of application. So uh, that's how we're going to work through this. First of all, Abraham's legacy. Uh, And you could go to a lot of different verses of Scripture. I narrowed it down to just four observations I'm going to give you. The first one is in 2 Chronicles, about a 1,000 years after Abraham lived. A guy named Jehoshaphat, that's a great name, isn't it? A guy named Jehoshaphat is offering a prayer. He's actually the king in Jerusalem, and they're surrounded by the bad guys. And they're in a really bad spot. They're in a really tight spot. And Jehoshaphat is praying on behalf of all the people, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and your hand are the power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? First thing I want you to see about Abraham's legacy is that he was the friend of God. Not because Abraham first chose God, but God called Abraham, right? God approached Abraham, but Abraham embraced the mercy of God. He accepted God's offer of friendship. And that kind of comes back to the cross. You know, could you say that you're living as a friend of God? If you haven't put your faith in Christ, you're living as an enemy of the cross. I know that's, that's a harsh word. We don't like to look at it that way, but that's what Scripture tells us. But Abraham couldn't boast, you know, I went and found God. I was on this pilgrimage and, and I went up to a mountain place someplace and I, and I found him and I, and I brought him into my life. No, Abraham simply responded 
to God's call of grace and mercy. And because of that, a thousand years later, a guy who's praying for his, his descendants, Abraham's descendants, simply uh, reminds God in prayer, don't forget your friend Abraham. In other words, God, don't forget that you, that you operate in mercy towards your people. Now, God didn't need that reminder, but Jehoshaphat did, and that's why he prayed it, and that's why the people uh, listened to that prayer so they could be reminded of this friendship relationship with God. That's the first part of Abraham's legacy. But there's a second one that I want to see in Matthew chapter 1, very short verse, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The second part of Abraham's legacy is that he was a forefather of the Messiah. You remember back when God first called Abraham, what he said to him when he was still named Abram, through your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That word nations didn't just mean the people groups that were living in that day, but it meant everybody who's ever walked on the planet is going to be blessed through one of your specific offspring. And later on in the Old Testament, we see him identified under the name of Messiah. And under the authors of the New Testament, we understand that the Messiah is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Come to pay the price for your sins and my sins. And Abraham had the high privilege of being connected to the lineage of Jesus. The third part of Abraham's legacy is that he was a believer in Jesus. Uh, In John chapter 8, one of my favorite chapters in the whole New Testament, Jesus is in an argument with the Pharisees. And it actually is comical if you, if you read it, uh, the extent to, uh, to which the Pharisees were getting more and more flustered and more and more upset and more and more angry. And Jesus was just kind of sitting there and telling the truth. And he was just kind of letting them kind of, you know, boil in their, in their own water, so to speak. But at one point, they claimed to be sons of Abraham. And Jesus says to them, you don't even, you don't even understand who Abraham was. You don't even understand the context of Abraham. You're actually sons of your father, the devil. And then he points this out to him. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus says, you need to understand something. Abraham looked forward to the coming Messiah. He understood the promise that through him, through his offspring, the world was going to be blessed. And in fact, he lived to see that day. And the the Jewish leaders were beside themselves. What do you mean you're not even 50 years old? How could he possibly live to see your day? And then Jesus said this little statement. Before Abraham was, I am. And he took upon the name of God Almighty. He said, you need to understand that Abraham, even though he didn't know my name, even though, even though he didn't understand the, the, the name of Jesus and the whole, under, the, the whole greater context of the Messiah, he knew me and he worshiped me and he was my friend. Abraham was a believer in Jesus. Just to reinforce this, Paul writes in Romans chapter 4, the following. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Or according to, did he, did he do enough good stuff for God to love him is what, is what Paul is asking. The question, could he earn his salvation is the question Paul's addressing there. By the way, when we finish Genesis, we're going to take a break for the summer and then we're going to dive uh, face first into the pool of Romans. Uh, so you might want to start praying about that because Romans is going to be a lot of fun, uh, a lot of challenge. But anyway, uh, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. When Abraham believed God, he and God got lined up. And they, all that means, righteousness just simply means they got in a right relationship. It was the way it was created. It was meant to be, not because of what Abraham did, but because he was a believer. That's the third part of his legacy. I'm going to give you one more. Abraham was a man of practical faith. I'm going to read you two passages out of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, 
Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of the promise, as a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So, so Abraham actually left his home. We've already studied this. If you've been with us, you know this. He left his home and he went to a new country, not knowing where he was going, but simply trusting God. That's practical faith. That's putting feet on your faith, literally. It's making a decision about your life that is a decision of faith. And then one more a little bit later in chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This alludes to Genesis 22 and the story of Abraham and Isaac and the offering and God providing the ram as a picture of God's provision for Abraham and as a picture of his provision for us later on through Jesus and the cross. Abraham was a man of practical faith. When God told him to follow, he followed. That is the legacy of Abraham. He led in his life. He learned to trust. He learned to follow God. He made mistakes. He messed up from time to time. You can, we've, we've looked at that. We've read about that and studied it in Genesis. He was not a perfect man, but he was a man of faith. He was a friend of God. He responded to the call of God, a forefather, a Messiah, a believer in Jesus. It's a pretty impressive resume. I was actually on a Thursday morning at uh, the funeral of Bob Sorgenfry, which is Joan Holly's dad. And it was a wonderful experience. And I thought I saw Joan walk in this morning. And uh, Joan, if you're here, I just, what a, what a, it was one of the top three funerals I've ever been to in my life. It was just amazing. What was cool about it was two of the grandkids stood up and talked. And it was clear that they idolized their grandfather. It was clear that their grandfather had spent time with them. And he had loved them well. And that was really touching. It was really moving. But I got to be honest, the best part about the funeral was when one of his, his best buddies who had known him all his life, like since 1922 or something, I mean, he'd known him forever, stood up and said, now let me tell you about Bob Sorgenfry. The guy was such a cheapskate. And he just goes off on how Bob Sorgenfry would, they'd go fishing and he'd take the worm and cut it up and, and only use one worm all day long. And, and he was just laughing and smiling. You could just tell they were best friends. And you could just tell that there was such an imprint on this man's life from this friendship. He wasn't saying that to be critical. He was just, he was just sharing stories about his friend. And it was just a, it was just a really moving and beautiful experience. And I, and I thought about this passage and I thought about Abraham's legacy. And I thought about how God works in everyday people to put his fingerprint on this planet and to move in ways that maybe we can't even understand today that impacts the greater world for the kingdom of God. That's Abraham's legacy. What about Green Tree's legacy? As elders, we've been talking about this a lot lately, actually. Um, and I'm just going to share two little very practical things for you. They're not necessarily of any giant significance, but I thought it'd be good for you to kind of know how the elders are thinking and talking these days. One of the things we've been talking about recently is the next generation of leaders at Green Tree Community Church. When I came to Green Tree some 11 years ago, roughly, yeah, that's about 11 years ago this month, actually, I started. The average age of the elders was, was in the mid-40s. And now those guys are in their mid-50s and older. I can't believe they're getting that old. I mean, it's scary to watch them, quite frankly. I kind of feel bad for them. I don't feel that much older. But uh, in all seriousness, our, our, our elders right now are roughly kind of 50-ish to, to mid-60s. 
And there's a lot of wisdom in the group. There's a, the, one of the reasons I'm so uh, excited about Green Tree Community Church is because of the wisdom of the elders in this congregation. These are men of experience. Uh, they're men who, who have calluses on their knees from praying. They're men who have been through the, the hard knocks of leading the people of God. And they have a great perspective that comes with age and with wisdom. But they're also, uh, can I be honest with you, they're also getting a little tired. <laughs> they're also, you know, starting to say, what about the next generation? And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean in a positive way. And there are things that we're, that we're looking at now and saying, how do we, how do we kind of corral the, the young people in this congregation, you know, that are late 20s through early 40s, and we have an incredible group of people in that age. So how do, we, how do we get them ready for leadership? How do we pass this on to them? How do we ensure that they understand the vision and the call that God has given us at Green Tree Community Church? And I'm, and I'm proud and I'm thankful that our older elders are thinking about who the next generation of leaders at Green Tree are going to be. And I'm looking at some of you future leaders in this room this morning, and I want you to know that, that I'm excited for what you're going to inherit. I think God's doing some amazing things at Green Tree. I'm excited what he's going to continue to do while he still allows some of us to hang around, hopefully for at least a few more years. Um, but I'm excited for the next generation as well. The other thing we're talking about, kind of from a pragmatic point of view, is providing long-term home without emphasizing facility over people. We worship in a school. Uh, this is not the nicest room in St. Louis, Missouri to have church service. And we uh, are very purposeful about not wanting to put uh, money into bricks and mortar ahead of people. If you're a visitor here this morning and you think that, that this is a temporary home, it's not really. It, it's, kind of our, it's kind of our home right now. That doesn't mean that in the future there might not be some solution uh, that allow us to maybe be in a little bit better space, but that still keeps us true to who we believe God's called us to be. So part of what the elders have said is when, when we step off the stage in the next 10, 15 years, we want to leave behind a healthy congregation. That's kind of all that that means. And I'm thankful that our elders are thinking that way. I'm thankful that they're, that they're working towards those things. So that got me thinking, you know, I've got to think of Green Tree and Abraham, and that's great, but what about me? What kind of legacy do I want to leave behind? And I just want to share with you three, three of my uh, points of legacy and then ask some practical application. First one is I've always wanted to leave behind uh, children of faith and of action. I've been very purposeful ever since uh, July of 1983 when, when Nathan was born uh, of saying that, that I want to be a good dad. In fact, when I was dating Cindy, and this is the honest truth, I'm not making this up, when I was in high school, one of the things that impressed me when I met Cindy when I was 16 years old was I thought she'd be a great mom. And I wanted to have a partner for life who could help me. Even at that age, I'm really surprised I thought that way because I was a mess in a lot of other ways. I thought, I want to have, have a family that loves God and follows God. And I want a woman who will be a partner with me uh, to do that. And we made lots of mistakes. We have really botched it in a lot of ways. I can tell you a lot of stories that kind of make you go, oh, gosh, I'm amazed your kids are at all uh, reasonable human beings who love Jesus. But we've been purposeful and we've been prayerful. And we've sought to, to love God and to leave a legacy of children who love him. I'm not sure if it's taken yet or not, but I do have one example. I was at the rink last night. Jordan had a hockey game, uh, which he uh, made a phenomenal pass to the guy who scored the winning goal. So not that I'm going to brag as a dad, but we're watching the hockey game. And um, this little guy walks by us. He's a ninth grader. He's a kid that I, I coached two or three seasons when he was little growing up. And he's now on the JV hockey team at Kirkwood High School. And my son Nathan's one of the coaches of the JV hockey team. The older son Nathan is. And I called Matthew over and said, Matthew, come here. I said, okay, you're, you're playing for another Rick. So now, I'm just going to ask you an honest and fair question. Who's the better coach? 
This child didn't even blink. I mean, he just pointed at Nate and said, uh, Mr. Ricks, Nate's much better. Like, get out of here. I like you anyway. I thought, okay, my older son's making a positive impression on this kid. Both my older kids are leading Bible studies in this church. I'm so excited about that. I'm so thankful that God in his grace and his mercy is allowing that to perhaps be part of, uh, of our legacy. I have a couple other parts of my legacy, though, and that is I want to, uh, I want to leave behind a strong community church. Um, I want to emphasize community in that sentence because I think that's what church is. When I think about church, we always call Green Tree a spiritual family, and that's what I believe we're called to be in Scripture. It's not just about gathering together with people that we quasi-know and they're kind of strangers and kind of acquaintances, but that we are a spiritual family. And that we have in our hearts, as one of our core motivators, a desire to serve our community, to make Kirkwood, Glendale, the Pear area a better place simply because we're here and our eyes are open to the call of Jesus. And I hope that we will always continue. And I know that's a two-edged sword because I know some of you guys live in Frontenac or Ladue or West County or whatever, you're like, God, can y'all give the Kirkwood thing a rest? You know, it's just, you know, it gets, gets a little old sometimes. And, and I got to tell you, no, we can't. And we're so glad you're here. We, we want you to be part of it. But God has called us very specifically to impact this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's one of my goals. And that's what I hope is part of is my legacy. And then beyond that, I hope that we leave behind, I hope that I help leave behind a network of strong community churches. And, and you know that part of our core values, if you've been here at all, is planting new churches. We've had the opportunity in that Columbia, Missouri. Had the opportunity to help one of those churches get started in uh, All Souls Church in Boulder, Colorado. We helped uh, Riverside Community Church over in, in uh, Webster Groves get started. City Church is, is up and running. In fact, in a couple of weeks, the guys from City Church are going to come and, and tell some of their story and give us a little bit of update about how they're doing. But it's important that we see the world as bigger than us, friends. We can get too much tunnel vision here in Kirkwood. I, I can drink too much of the Kool-Aid from time to time, okay? And it's important that we remember that God's kingdom is so much bigger than what we're doing right here. And that we not only get to be part of that, but we need to be part of that. That we will continue through years and years ahead, Lord willing, until the Lord Jesus comes back or until we die to be able to be used by him. I was at a funeral. This is going back years. I was at a funeral one time. And uh, what was said about the person who shared, they kind of had an open microphone and about seven or eight people stood up and talked. And the main theme that kept coming through uh, from the deceased or about the deceased was that, that when all these folks kind of were the same age group, when they were in high school, this is the house they could go to to get the beer. That was what was celebrated. You know? Now, they took our car keys away from us. They didn't let us drive. But this is where we could go and drink underage. Whether you want to or not, you're going to leave a legacy. The time to think about that is now, not at your funeral. Not when it's too late. Not when it's all said and done. So to wrap this up, what's the question this morning is, your legacy. It's our legacy as a church. It's my legacy in an individual, and it's yours. How will we be remembered? That's really the only question, and I, I want to give you three observations. The first one is this, and I just said it. We need to start thinking about it today. Did you hear, if you were, if you were here on time at the beginning of worship, did you hear Jeff's call to worship out of Psalm 78? 
I will open my mouth. I will utter sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. The psalmist says we're personal, excuse me, we are purposeful about giving this message to the next generation. What am I doing today? What are you doing today that is purposely passing on and growing the kingdom of God? One of the things I love about Jeff and Patrice's story is that there's a clear intention on their part. When it became obvious to them that they were to adopt, they didn't blink, they didn't hesitate, but they followed God's plan for their lives. Are we thinking about it today? Second observation I would give as far as practical application is that as I think about my legacy, I need to think it in terms of ways that it will honor Christ and expand his kingdom. That what I want to leave behind is something that glorifies Jesus and something that will help his kingdom grow and expand larger than it is today. A lot of you probably saw that, that movie, The Bucket List, or, or you've heard of the term bucket list. It's all the stuff that you want to do before you die which I think is really kind of a cool idea. You know, so if you want to jump out of an airplane, you write that down. I want to, you know, visit Alaska and see the humpback whale. You write, you know, whatever the things are you want. I think that's really cool. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're not talking about some of the fun things that you want to do because that's all about you. Again, it's all about, you know, kind of what I get to do, what's fun for me. But rather the question is, what will I leave behind that honors Jesus, that brings glory to him? And the third and, and final point on application is this. It doesn't need to be grand. It doesn't need to be this, this you know, amazing thing that, that touches the four corners of the earth. I think sometimes we think of legacy and think, well, I, you know, I could never be like Martin Luther who God used, you know, to, to reform the entire church. You know, I, uh, I'm no William Wilberforce who, who was a Christian who helped abolish slavery uh, in England. You know, I'm, I'm no Mother Teresa. I, I can't go to Calcutta and, and live there and, and do what she did. You know, we think of these grand grand schemes. And I, and I want you to dial it back a little bit, friends. God, God may call you to do something amazing like that. Or he may call, call you to do something amazing in a much simpler way, in a much smaller scale. I only have three kids. The last one's 18. He's almost out of the house. <laughs> I, I don't have 200 kids that I'm trying to leave a legacy with. I just, I just got three. And let me tell you, that, that's a full-time job. I want you to think about your particular life and how you can leave a legacy. Uh, there's a woman in Southern California named Henrietta Mears who has an amazing legacy. And the only thing she ever did was teach high school boys Sunday school class in her church, Presbyterian Church out in Hollywood, California. Didn't travel a whole lot, didn't see a whole lot of the world, was a very godly woman. And she just said, Lord, I think my calling is to teach these boys. They're a bunch of you know, they're kind of rough and around the edges and they don't always smell good. And, you know, but, but that's, that's my calling is to hang out with these boys. So I'm going to teach those boys about Jesus. That's what she did all of her life. That's it, period. That's her legacy. Let me tell you some other parts about her legacy. Some names with which you may be familiar. Dick Halverson was in her Sunday school class. Dick Halverson became the uh, pastor of Fourth Presbyterian Church in Bethesda, Maryland, and the chaplain to the United States Senate for over 20 years. No telling how many people Dick Halverson led to Christ. There was another young man in her Sunday school class named Bill Bright. Bill Bright started this little organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. Maybe you've heard about it. I promise you there are some people sitting in this room this morning that are sitting in this room because God brought you to himself through Campus Crusade for Christ. Excuse me, 
for Henrietta Mears' legacy. A couple of brothers that she ran into, they, uh, they didn't always get along with each other. They kind of fought a little bit. They were really rough around the edges, but she saw a, a drive in them. She saw a desire to follow God in them that was really pretty exceptional. So she spent a little extra time with Bob and with Jim. Bob was a guy named Bob Rayburn who founded Covenant Theological Seminary, and his brother Jim was a guy that started a little organization called Young Life. Now, I know there are people sitting in this room today that have come to Christ through Young Life. And you're sitting under the teaching of somebody who uh, went to Covenant Seminary. Whether you like the sermon or not, sorry. (laughs) But Bob Rayburn's having an impact on you this morning as well. Excuse me. Henrietta Mears is having an impact on you this morning. And her legacy doesn't have to be giant, doesn't have to be grand. It just has to be thoughtful, purposeful. Abraham breathed his last and he died. Are you and I living with one eye on the grave? What am I planting today? What are you planting today that will bear fruit into eternity? Let's pray.